Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry, I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think I'm a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where, for once, we're not mad. Like, we were, we're not upset about anything. I mean, you know, it's, it's early in the day yet. I'm certain we could find something. <laughs> it's um, Christmas time, though, so, it's, you know. Yeah, it's, it's the time to not be angry about stuff. Um, <laughs> now I just thought of something I'm mad about. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as always, I am Lauren Humphreys-Brooks, and with me is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I mean, there's always something we can be angry I mean, about. I'm not mad about anything to do with film. I, I will say that I'm mad about the state of the world, but um, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so actually you... not been a terrible week film-wise. So it hasn't. It hasn't actually. There's been some good stuff film-wise, which I think we're going to talk about for a little while. Um, yeah. I will say that every year, you know, and and I know you're not as into awards and stuff. I mean, it's literally my job. I'm the awards editor. Yeah. We live, but um, but I will say every year there's a film that I don't really like that starts getting a lot of attention, and by the time the Oscars roll around, I fucking hate it. <laughs> and this year, it seems like that movie is Licorice Pizza. <laughs> Yeah, that one's going to be in the Oscar conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's obvious. Definitely, yeah. but it's like, it's not even just the Oscars, it's everything that's going to lead up to it from now till then. Like, mm-hmm. when it won, you know, was it National Board of Review this week? I was just like, oh, gosh, here we go. <laughs> so that's my that's my movie where I started off like, I don't really like this, but I get why other people do, and by the end of this season, I'm going to hate this movie with a fiery passion. <laughs> Well, but this is one of the things I always, like, it, it always exhausts me about award season. Like, yeah, I'm not even remotely embedded in it, but I definitely hear about it and I read about it. And in the run-up to the Oscars, there's always like, okay, we're going to hear about certain films as as everything begins separating out and it becomes clear who's going to be in contention and who isn't. Um, and yeah, at a certain point, you're just like, oh God, if I ever have to hear about this film one more time. Just say, just mention the fucking title just one more goddamn time and I'm going to lose. You know? <laughs> exactly. And, and yeah, and very often it isn't, you know, like, oh, I hate this film. It's just like, well, I thought it was okay. Or, you know, oh, was it my favorite or whatever? And by the end of it, you're just like, no, I hate it. I hate it with the fire <laughs> of a thousand suns. I hope that everyone involved with it fails in life. Like, exactly. it's, that, it's that sensation <laughs> just like, how dare you have inflicted this on me? I can't believe this exists. I want it to not exist. I want to erase it from my brain. And everyone who told me it was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and it, that that's sad though because when you come down to it a lot of these films are just maybe not great but they're not usually not bad films particularly sometimes they are yeah um but yeah the then you're just like well i've completely forgotten about anything that i liked about this any sort of mixed feelings i had it's just pure hatred now exactly um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. but anyway. we're not going to talk about pure hatred no today we're going to talk about stuff that we like and maybe a little bit about stuff that we don't like, but mostly just stuff that we like because this is our holiday film episode, um, which which we tend to do every year. Last year we talked about, um, you know, is this a Christmas movie? Uh, <laughs> which I found very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but this time around, you know, I we just wanted to talk about holiday films. So, and whatever that happens to mean to us, it doesn't necessarily have to be films that take place at Christmas or New Year's or Hanukkah or, or whatever other holidays, but films that like you associate with this time of year, I guess. Yeah. Um, it was funny because the other day, um, this was going, this was a conversation that people were having on Twitter. Like what's a movie that's not necessarily a Christmas movie, but you associate with Christmas and people were, you know, chiming in with all kinds of them. The Harry Potter movies were a big one. And I think that's got a lot to do with the fact that like, for yeah. some reason, they were just like, they would do a Harry Potter marathon every Christmas. 
Uh, now it's on all the time. You can't escape it, but, you know. And then same thing with, like, um, The Sound of Music and The Wizard of Oz used to be movies that they would just play, like, leading up to Christmas, and they have absolutely nothing to do with Christmas, don't even take place in December, but um, they just, because of the time period, you know, yeah. we just associate them with the holiday. And then that night, I went and saw Nightmare Alley, and I was like, oh, this is a Christmas movie. <laughs> Hmm, all right, so Nightmare Alley is a Christmas movie. Okay, I'll accept that. <laughs> um, um, well, yeah, but, but I, th- I think the best part of it, that there are certain films that were, particularly for those of us who grew up, you know, on cable, right, with seeing things, just kind of stuff that was shown on television, um, which is happening less and less now. I think that there's, there's more of a, a divide, right, because a lot of people don't have cable anymore. A lot of people... And there's so much that's available. You don't necessarily have these particular films that everyone watches because they show them all the time for some reason. Um, but the, the one that I always think of is James Bond. Um, because I felt like every year, I think it was AMC for a while, ran like 12 days of 007. And yeah. they would just run a James Bond marathon. They would usually start with, they would start with Dr. No, and they would just, sometimes I think there were some rights issues, so they would skip over a few films, but they would just run through the Bond franchise. And, and as a result, I have this bizarre association between Christmas and James Bond, um, because always, I would always watch Dr. No, Goldfinger, Thunderball, because I really liked the, uh, the Sean Connery Bonds. And then I would just ignore Roger Moore and go straight to Timothy Dalton and, and then at that time, Pierce Brosnan, right? Uh, and, and, but so it's this weird association because James Bond has fuck all to do with Christmas. Like not even, <laughs> it's not even close. There's, you know, there's a character called Christmas in that one film that was just awful. Um, but, but yeah, so it's, it's this weird like association, like you say, Harry Potter. Harry Potter, now Harry Potter does have scenes at Christmas and snow and all of that. So, but I think that there's this certain association with nostalgia that we tend to get around the holidays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, it's all of those memories, being young, being a child, being whatever. And so there are a lot of films like Harry Potter or Wizard of Oz or, um, or James Bond, right? Where there's sort of these comfort movies that you can go back to and be like, oh, this is just something that's entertaining. It's not terribly serious. It's not even associated with Christmas necessarily, right? Um, so I don't even have to relive those issues about Christmas <laughs> <laughs> or about any other holiday around this time. Um, so, so yeah, I think that there's there's definitely a little bit of that. But what, what are some films that for you, you just associate with this time of year? Ho- holiday themed or not? Um, you know... For me, it doesn't feel like Christmas time until the first time I've watched Elf, <laughs> so which is very holiday themed. You don't get much more Christmas than yeah. that, but uh, but yeah, for me, that's like that's when I know okay, the Christmas season has started. It's time to watch Elf, and and I love that movie so much. I first saw it on the night after Thanksgiving. Actually, I was um, this is when I was living in Utah. And the company I worked for, they, like, I was in the customer service department and they required everybody to work two shifts. And you had, like, there were uh, out of these four, because nobody wanted to work Thanksgiving or Christmas. So it was like, out of all these four days, you had to work, work two shifts Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving, Christmas Day, or New Year's Day. And so my friends and I would always sign up for, um, Thanksgiving because it was super slow. There's no one calling because no trucks are running. Um, and so we would just do our two shifts back to back because they were only four hour shifts too. So we just work a full day on Thanksgiving and then drive to Wyoming where my friend's family was from. And so then we would have Thanksgiving dinner on Friday with them. And so it was great because then we still felt like we got the holiday weekend, you know, um, and we still got Thanksgiving. So, um, Anyway, that's a lot of backstory for what happened. But anyway, so the first time we did this, they had this little ta- this little movie theater in their town. And uh, it was, you know, the kind that just had two screens. And I 
other than like repertory theaters, I had never been to a town where like that was literally what they had for the movies. I grew up with like, you know, six or seven theaters, you know, multiplexes and stuff. And so it was just, it was fun to be there and, and just be with this whole, like the whole town came out to go see Elf, you know, it was like brand new. It had just come out and, and just the experience of that, it just, it really felt like, wow, this feels like Christmas time. And so then a couple years later, I was going through a really hard time and Elf was like the only movie that I could handle. And I don't even know why, but it was. And um, yeah, so it's because of some very specific, you know, times, it's just, it's become one of my go-to very favorites. So yeah. Well, and I love that about those kinds of films where they just bring up these sort of warm, fuzzy, oh, I love this sort of feeling, you know? Yeah. And and the and Elf is also just a very warm and fuzzy film. It's, it is. It's like an antidote to all to some of the cynicism of about the holidays. And um, you know, it's kind of like it fits into stuff like, you know, Charlie Brown's Christmas and mm-hmm. The Grinch and stuff like that. It kind of you know, punctures a lot of the cynicism and it's still really funny, right? It give you know, part of the the beauty of of Buddy is that he's so not cynical. He's so happy. <laughs> he's so yeah. joyful. And it doesn't, you know, it lets him be funny without really mocking him. It's actually saying like, this is what we should all be, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, let's just be joyful right now. Exactly. Well, and and honestly, like, it sounds silly, but honestly, his whole, like, there's room for everyone on the nice list. I have adopted that line of thinking in my life. And so, you know, like, with websites and stuff, like, we're in a really competitive industry. And I'm just like, hey, you know what, there's room for all of us, you know, and it's, it's, it's made me just like, a more accepting person in general. Like, I don't feel like I need to compete with anybody. We can all you know, we can all do our own thing and do it well and, and all get along and, and be happy together. And also not only that, but, uh, just in general, looking for the good in people. And some, some folks make that very difficult. Um, but you know, just trying to not assume the worst in people is something that, uh, it's not easy, but it definitely, uh, makes life better when I'm not just, like, assuming that someone's just, like, an evil, terrible person, you know? Yeah, and, and it's it's a good time of year to kind of remind yourself of that, I think. That yeah. to be, like, to, to be kind of like, you know what? We can all be better. We can all be kinder. And there are people that we think are terrible that might actually have hope for them. <laughs> exactly. Um, that, that, you know, things can get better and maybe we need to, to be kinder to each other generally, right? And that, that it can be so easy, especially right now, to sort of fall into that that sensation of just like everything is awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, How so, about you? What's one for you? Well, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, just think about marathons, right? And, and this is much more recent. So like, when I was a kid, like, and, and my parents and I still do this, where we'll watch, you know, Charlie Brown's Christmas and The Grinch is still Christmas and White Christmas, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, those are very much like my go-to holiday holiday films. And particularly for both Charlie Brown and The Grinch, um, it's, it's specifically this one video that my grandmother sent me. Because um, I've, I've mentioned this before that when I was a kid, we didn't have cable. Right. So my grandmother, believing that I should have the experience of a child with cable, would just record long sections of cartoons and movies and things like that from her television and send me v- like six hour VHS tapes. Hmm, um, awesome. And that's and my parents still have some of those tapes and they can, they still work. But so I have this this, you know, talk about the commercialization of Christmas. I have this association with not just, you know, Charlie Brown's Christmas or the Grinch, but the commercials that go along with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> like awesome. isotoner gloves for oh some reason, <laughs> isotoner gloves was like a thing that they advertised. Uh-huh. This is like 1989, you know, so this, I'm like a little kid. I bought my um, mom's some of those. <laughs> 
or or the Hess truck, you know, that comes up all the time. Or the Coke, you know, some of the other ones like Coca-Cola, Santa. Oh, I love the old Coca-Cola commercials with Santa (laughs) and the bears. And and it's it's weird because on the one hand, I watch them now and I'm just like, oh, this is really like commercial because that's exactly what it is. It's, you know, you're interrupting Charlie Brown's Christmas about the commercialization of Christmas (laughs) with ads for isotoners and Hess. Um, And yet at the same time, it does have this warm association for me because it's, uh, you know, this is what I watched. But I have to say, though, like some of those commercials, particularly when it came to like the the Coca-Cola ones and stuff, like those were kind of their own event back in the day, too. It was always like you looked forward to what what they were going to come up with for their new you know, commercial, their new Christmas commercial and stuff. So it's yeah. kind of interesting how that was a weird blend. And it's so of its time because we get, you know, funny holiday commercials now, but not nearly the same. It's not, it doesn't feel like an event anymore. Well, yeah. And again, I think that some of that is simply because television in the way that we experienced it when we were kids is, is not, it, it's just not the same thing. Streaming right. has changed the way that we watch television. And, and so, VCRs. And, I mean, um, yeah. not VCRs, DVRs and stuff like people fast forward through commercials. So it's like, why, yeah. why put in the same level of effort? Well, I mean, even like something like, you know, I have Hulu um, and yeah. I, I have seen the same goddamn commercial so many times. I am begging Hulu <laughs> to like figure out how to switch up their commercials because it isn't like, like I accept that I have to watch ads, right? But seeing them over and over and over again is exhausting and I hate all of the products. <laughs> so please, you're not selling it to me, man. You're just not yeah. doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But but the other thing I wanted to mention was, um, and actually this is this is similar to your your discussion of, of Elf. So when I this was not that long ago comparatively, um, uh, when I was in grad school in in Edinburgh, I decided that I wasn't going to go home for Christmas because we had a Christmas break, but it was it was a bit weird, and my um, my parents decided that they wanted to come to Edinburgh for Christmas, so we happened to have snow in Edinburgh the year that I was there, which was very exciting. And the Scots have no idea what to do with snow. They are just, I mean, I saw people trying to put table salt on ice. Oh no. And yeah. And, and as someone from upstate New York, I was just like, we have a lot of snow in upstate New York. And I was like, you guys are insane. Like, what is, are you okay? Like, do you need instructions? Or something? <laughs> they need help. Um, so it was exciting, but it was it was great to have my parents there and like they, they rented an apartment and I stayed with them. I'm, I left my student flat and I stayed with them, but it, they, the, there was a television in the apartment and one of the only things that was being shown on like the four stations that, that this television got <laughs> was a constant marathon of Hercule Poirot during oh. uh, David Suchet, right? And... Mm. And just like constant, like, I don't know, I think it was Channel 4 or something like this, but it, they just decided that they were just going to show nothing but Poirot episodes. So we would have Poirot on while like my dad and I are cooking or something like that. So now Poirot has become like this thing that I watch <laughs> around Christmas time because it's so strongly associated with that. Uh, and and again... Awesome. There is actually a Poirot episode called Hercule Poirot's Christmas, but that is not at all my association. It's just like all of the the Suchet episodes are <laughs> are Christmas to me. Nice. So one of the things that that you know we had asked people um, was you know what films do they associate with Christmas and, and the holiday season? You know, I, I want to say this is the holiday season because. Christmas is its own thing, Hanukkah is its own thing, but we all do seem to participate in this. Um, and so we, we had a few responses from at Reesey Pie, uh, says, I always watch Holiday Affair when I put up my Christmas tree. Um, you could keep your It's a Wonderful Life. Used to watch <laughs> Love Actually, but now actively attempt to convince everyone that it's actually a really terrible movie. Uh, <laughs> Holiday Affair is one that I just saw last year. Same, yeah. Um, so it was, time. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's cause it's on HBO max and that's, that's the one with, um, right. With Robert Mitchum and, and Janet Lee. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's an odd. So <laughs> cute, though. I liked it. It's weird, but I liked it a lot. <laughs> it no, I love it. Like like, but I was just like, this feels wrong. It's like these two. Why are how are these two actors in this movie? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it. That's what I mean. Like it's weird that it, but it works. <laughs> it it really does. Yeah. That's that's a lot of fun. And in reference to to love, actually, uh, we did have a question from at Paula Fangirls. What is a holiday movie you used to love, but now you realize is problematic for me that's love actually <laughs> um and and Paolo, we'll, we'll answer the second part of your question in a minute but so i mean yeah what what are some holiday films that were maybe like i don't that this is this has issues i mean that's definitely one for me i still watch it um for the parts that i do really like but um but yeah i, I it's weird i don't know what it is about love actually because I was so taken by it when it first came out, and now it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, there's... Yeah, it's it's a problematic film. I do kind of watch it with one eye closed, where I'm just like, I'm just going to enjoy it, and I'm not going to think about it too much. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's, that's kind of where I come down on Love Actually. But yes, it, it is definitely problematic. All of the comments that have been, you know, all of the articles, everything that has been said about Love Actually is true. At the same time, there is something very warm and fuzzy about it. And I do think that we are allowed to, to kind of sometimes just turn off our brains mm -hmm. and be like, I'm just going to enjoy the fact that these are cute holiday stories and I'm going to ignore the issues that they represent. Why, Lauren, are you suggesting that it's okay to recognize that something's problematic and still find things to enjoy about it? I am, and and I know that you know. Sometimes I, I get accused, apparently, of never having seen a giallo <laughs> film because I, do, I I have noted that the giallo is often homophobic and misogynist. I've that whole thing was really weird to me, but mm -hmm. yes, it, it is perfectly possible to watch a film that you find problematic and still enjoy it and still find good things about it, and in fact. All of those things are part of the film. The good stuff is a part of the film, just as the bad stuff is a part of the film. And there's very little art that is 100% pure. Yeah. Uh, in fact, a lot of the time, that's quite boring. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's true. Okay. I'm trying to think of some other ones. Um, well, there are some that's like, I've always liked it, but it's kind of messed up. I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think if I'm gonna get a lot of criticism for what I'm about <laughs> to say, but, um, but like, The Family Stone. Oh, I yes. <laughs> enjoy that movie immensely. Um, but the whole thing with the brother and like the the uptight fiance per like it just the, the the dynamics of that family don't even make sense in certain ways and then like the choices that people make in the movie are just dumb but i love it <laughs> i i don't know <laughs> uh yeah i i mean it now it's been a while since i saw the family stone i think i've seen it once i remember liking it but being uncomfortable with yeah. it um and and i i actually have a very similar feeling for one of the films that that always comes up for me that everybody seems to love and i'm just like i fucking hate this movie is it's a wonderful life mm. um i yes and and i it's it's so problematic like it has so many problems and some of it is very much because it's very much of its time like and i think that that's yeah. something that you know we always need to acknowledge that a lot of what's being represented in it's a wonderful life is is very much of the time period at the same time sometimes i'm just like oh yes well, the worst possible thing that could happen to a woman is that she becomes a librarian <laughs> she's a spinster librarian my god instead of having like 50 children and a husband that wants to kill himself instead of that the worst thing that ever happened to her is that she was a librarian with glasses so I totally get what you're saying there for me i've always just taken it as like this is his imagination of the worst thing and so yeah to him that is a fate worse than being married to him look at what happened to her oh no yeah I do love that movie, but part of it is 
the fact that it's so tied into very specific Christmas memories. For years, my mom and I, that's what we would watch every Christmas Eve as we were finishing wrapping presents together or decorating cookies or whatever it is. And that's just been our holiday tradition for, I don't know, 30 years. So it's like just what we were talking about before. Like there are certain things where they're just so tied into the memory that it's like you just don't even look at the specific uh, issues that might be there. Yeah, no, exactly. And and I think that, that particularly when it comes to holiday movies that we have certain associations with them. Yeah. And so, yeah, you, you do kind of, you tend to ignore it's like, oh, that was, uh, that actually has some issues. Right. But also, It's a Wonderful Life, as we've talked about in recent weeks with other things, is not tied to my identity as a human. So for you to not enjoy it does not wreck me. I'm fine with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and I will say that this, that spinning off of that, one of the other ones that is, is all kinds of problematic, and I did not know that it was problematic when I was a kid, and this is when I first saw it, is Holiday Inn. Oh, Um, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> which which is the kind of pre-White Christmas, White Christmas with uh, Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire. And and it's it's a Christmas movie, but it's also not a Christmas movie because most of it doesn't actually take place at Christmas. But it's, um, it, it's very entertaining and everything. And then suddenly there's blackface. And not just blackface, but like re- a really offensive musical number. Mm-hmm. Um, like shockingly so and and i remember seeing it as a kid and at some point my parents kind of explained it to me were kind of like you know because i as as a child i was just like i don't understand i don't know what this is i don't know what this is about um and and but yeah if you've never seen holiday and uh, you know just look just look up the blackface number and just be like oh that was a really racist time that's exciting and yeah so it's yeah, very very problematic film. It still gives me warm fuzzies, uh, you know, especially the ending with, you know, sleigh rides and singing White Christmas and all of that stuff. Um, and and that's that's fun in, a, in its own way, but definitely, definitely a problematic <laughs> movie. Yeah. Um, and so the other part of, of Paolo's question is um, it, create a holiday movie with three actresses from the 1950s to now star in it. Um, and, and and she suggested uh, a, a holiday movie with Katherine Hepburn, Kate Blanchett, and Lauren Bacall. Kate Blanchett is not from the 1950s. I know, however, she seems to be like <laughs> she's she timeless, is. So, she is you know. timeless. She has lived forever. We're pretty positive she's a vampire, so we're going to accept <laughs> that. Um, that's an interesting one, actually. And I'm having difficulty coming up with something because, like, what would the story be about? Hmm. Let's see. <laughs> I'm kind of like suddenly I'm just like, well, Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> Jane Russell. <laughs> I'm thinking of some sort of like a, a take on a uh, Christmas Carol with like Betty Davis as one of the ghosts. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Like the ghost of Christmas future that's all scary. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's that's. I think that would be fun. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now it can never happen. Like Betty but Davis it been amazing. Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of a third, a third ghost that would be really good. That could be fun though. That could be fun. Yeah. Um, let, let, let's let's have another think on that one. Um, so, what other like holiday films are are major for you? Or kind of the films that you just your go to. Um, <laughs> so this is gonna say a lot about me, but um, the holiday and <laughs> Bridget Jones's Diary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yep. I look well, and I guess now I have to add in Last Christmas too, the Paul Feig movie from a couple of years ago. Like, I just, I don't know. There's something about the holidays, even though I'm super single and have no interest in changing that. There's just something about the holidays that just feel romantic, and so romantic movies set at Christmas time just really are just they're my jam. I, I love it. I, I do. <laughs> 
I do love Bridget Jones's Diary, I have to say. I still have not seen The Holiday. That is oh on my, my list. I'm so it excited is, for you to watch it. It is on my list for this year. Um, I've been intending to see it for a while, and I was like, I should really just watch that. Um, Nancy Myers yeah. made a perfect Christmas movie, so. <laughs> I, I mean, speaking of Christmas films that are somewhat problematic, Bridget Jones's Diary definitely has some Oh issues. yeah. Not not like I don't think there's such big issues that it, it can really destroy the enjoyment of the film. Um, but like every time she's just like, Oh, I weigh so much, or just like you're like 130 pounds. <laughs> right. Like soaking wet, you know, come on. Yeah, I think what I what I appreciate about it though is that it really taps into the mindset of women. Like so many of us do get caught up in those dumb things. Um, and worry about that. And, and I think that looking at it and going, oh, please, what are you freaking out about is kind of part of the point. So, um, yeah. And, yeah. and she's, she, her, and, and also her mother in a mm-hmm. lot of ways are, it's really about her lack of, um, her lack of confidence and her yeah. sense that she doesn't deserve love, that she doesn't, you know, there's something wrong with her, that she's a fuck up, et cetera. Exactly. Um, and, and when in fact she does, and she's got this gorgeous man who's just standing there and you're like, oh my God, look, look at yeah. him, look. <laughs> <laughs> and then because of her lack of confidence and because of all of her experiences that have told her she doesn't deserve a guy like this, she almost fucks it up, or at least she thinks she's about to. And yep. in some ways, at certain points in the movie, she kind of does because she gets in her own way. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is a good movie about her gaining confidence and and yeah. beginning to accept that she is that she is good enough that she does deserve happiness, whatever that looks like, you know. Mm-hmm. And um and and I do like that. I have to say, the first time I saw Bridget Jones's Diary, I had not seen the Pride and Prejudice. Thing. Oh, okay. Um, and <laughs> well, they and, did that for the second movie, so like that video <laughs> clip, you mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. no, I I just never seen. Pride and Prejudice, period. Oh, 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 okay. Um, and, and so I didn't realize that, that it was even a, a redo kind of a Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> and, and, then, and, and when I saw it, I was just like, oh, well, he's an asshole. Like, I don't know why she would be interested in Mark Darcy. And then by the end of it, I was just like, I am in love with Colin Firth. And... <laughs> We will have children together. And... <laughs> and see, my first experience with Pride and Prejudice was the 95 film. And that was also my first experience seeing Colin Firth in anything. So, yeah, when I saw Bridget Jones, I was like, yeah, of course, this makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> but did you ever see that video that they did? It was a bonus feature for the second movie where it's Renee Zellweger as Bridget Jones interviewing Colin Firth as Colin Firth and she's just completely yeah. stuck on Pride and Prejudice that's all she yes. can talk about yes <laughs> it's so funny yes I do because I feel that. like I would be the same way <laughs> uh so one of the others for me that I just wanted to to mention really quickly is um is Rare Exports which I've mentioned before I think but it's a, a 2010 Finnish horror film about the horror of Santa Claus, um, <laughs> the absolute evil that is Saint Nick, <laughs> um, and and ba- basically it's about uh, it's a research team drills too deep in the Arctic and they awaken Santa Claus, and he is he's gigant he's this gigantic evil elf right and it's about this this uh son this son and his father who live like really far north up in lapland and they begin to um they begin to be attacked by evil elves basically evil santa clauses and it's it's bizarre and it's funny and it is a wonderful like kind of not anti-christmas per se but it sort of digs into those elements of christmas that we tend to forget about that a lot of christmas is about rebirth it's a it's about the um it's about the darkness of winter and kind of it's it's about death right it's about death before resurrection essentially Mm -hmm. and so a lot of um a lot of Christmas stories and things like that have elements of horror to them. And that includes, you know, if you, you think about it, a Christmas carol has, it's a ghost story. And there are a lot of ghost stories around Christmas. And so Rare Exports kind of gives that edge to it. It's it's like, okay, we're going to go back to really 
old stories about, you know, evil elves and evil Santa Clauses and these ancient gods, basically, um, that we've sort of forgotten about. I have not seen it, but I just looked and it is available to stream on Hulu, Shudder, Hoopla, Canopy, Tubi, Crackle, and um, Plex. And since it's on Shudder, it's on AMC Plus if you have that. I just did that uh, crazy good deal they had for Black Friday where it was like 25 bucks for the whole year. So their interface sucks, but I have that. So anyway, lots of ways to watch Rare Exports. And I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to rectify that today. <laughs> I, I definitely recommend it. You know, it, it isn't a warm and fuzzy Christmas movie, but it is very, very entertaining and funny. Well, that sounds awesome. I, you know, I mean, I grew up with Gremlins, so. <laughs> yeah, it's very much in Gremlins Krampus kind of vein. It has awesome. that, and, and it's very Finnish and has very Scandinavian sense of humor. That sounds fantastic, yeah. So I, I love like, that. Ah, that we're style, all yeah. going to die. <laughs> that sounds great. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I would like to say that, uh, there's a couple movies on Netflix that are worth a watch. Klaus came out, I th it was either last year or the year before, uh, might've been two years ago. It was an, it's an animated feature that is sort of about, it's sort of not the origins of Santa, but it's sort of a different version of the origins of Santa. And it's about this, um, this guy who works for the post office basically, but he's not very good at his job and he gets sent to like the remotest part of the Arctic circle and ends up kind of not by accident, but he just, he sort of ends up meeting coming across this carpenter who lives alone and, um, ends up sort of kind of turning him into Santa Claus in a way. It's kind of hard to explain, but it's really good. The animation is beautiful and if you haven't seen it, I recommend that one. Yeah, that's one that I haven't seen. I, I will be certain that that's on my list because I've heard a lot of good things about that movie. Yeah, it's it's really, it's very, very well done. So, um, and then I just this morning was watching a really sweet, this is a short film, it's half an hour long, but it's, um, uh, I watched it because we, my group just nominated it for a short film and that is called Robin Robin. Which is, it actually has sort of a Fantastic Mr. Fox feel to it a little bit, just in terms of, like, kind of what the story's about. But it's very, very, very different. Um, also really cute, really sweet uh, Christmas time movie about a robin who is raised by mice <laughs> and doesn't know how to fly. And um, anyway, I don't want to say too much about that, but that's also very, very sweet. So, Yeah. Uh, well, and, and of course we also have the, which I haven't watched yet and I really want to see, but A Castle for Christmas, um, mm -hmm. with Carrie Elwes and Brooke Shields directed by Mary Lambert and that just entire, <laughs> it's a Netflix Christmas movie. I was so hoping Scotland. it'd be a Christmas, ha uh, Halloween, like, <laughs> mishmash. It's apparently not, but... <laughs> but still, like the whole thing of just oh, yeah. Drew Barrymore's in it. Like I, I'm <laughs> oh, I didn't like, know I'm, that. <laughs> I am fascinated by whatever this is going to be. Like this, this just sounds, <laughs> this just sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I need to watch that movie. <laughs> and then for anybody who hasn't seen it before, or anybody who hasn't, it's been a while because it's not available very often. But Unaccompanied Minors is now on Netflix too. That is an early Paul Feig movie that. I find very funny, so. Which I, I have not seen, it. so I, I definitely want to check it out. Yeah. Um, it's basically well, about kids stuck at the airport because the, there's a huge blizzard and they're all unaccompanied minors traveling and then it's, you know, of course they're going to get into problems. Hijinks <laughs> are going to ensue. <laughs> well, and before we move on to one of the other films that is currently streaming on Netflix that is not even close to being a holiday movie, <laughs> um, I did really want to mention the fact that Criterion has decided to to really kind of go along with this whole idea of we are going to do marathons of films that have fuck all to do with Christmas around <laughs> the holiday season 
and just put a whole bunch of Alfred Hitchcock films on their collection, Hitchcock for the Holidays. I know, I love that. That's so great. <laughs> and I don't know why they decided to do this at this time, but I, I saw it and I was just like, this is the most exciting thing to ever happen. Um, <laughs> and, and I am saying this is someone that has seen all of these films multiple times. <laughs> I own all of them, uh, but still there's something about like just having them there and available. And I'm just like, I'm just gonna watch these films. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I rewatched Rear Window yesterday. I actually was watching Shadow of a Doubt earlier today. Uh, and and I I know this is not true for everybody. Hitchcock is one of my comfort watches. Like I, I love going back to his movies and just sitting there and experiencing them again. Um, but I really encourage people to, to go and watch any of the films, any of his films that you haven't seen. And that includes some of the ones that are lesser known. I think that it's so easy to go to, you know, I haven't seen Rear Window in a while, which is why I watched it, but it's easy to go to like Rear Window and Vertigo and, um, and, and Shadow of a Doubt and some of the other like much more famous ones. Check out some of his early British films, like watch Downhill or um, Sabotage or even some of his, you know, some of his later ones. Um, I, I, there was a big trigger warning attached to this, but I think one of his best late films is Frenzy. Uh, and it's a disturbing film. I'm not going to say that. Super like, disturbing, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to say like, oh, watch this for a good time. Um, but it, it's a fantastic film and very few people seem to actually watch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the other one that I just love and is not disturbing, does not require any trigger warnings, and it's just a great film. It's a wonderful way for him to close out his, his career, even though it wasn't you know intentional. He didn't plan to to never make another film. Um, is Family Plot, which is just very weird and quirky. It's basically if you watch any of his really early British films, where there's a lot of like you know character work and it's just funny. Um, he kind of takes that sensibility and transplants it to, you know, 1970s California. And it's, it's just an entertaining, bizarre little movie um, and, and is a wonderful kind of closeout to his career. So I really encourage people to go and like check out any of the films on there that you haven't seen, um, even Topaz, which is a terrible movie. And every time I watch it, I'm like, why am I watching this terrible movie? <laughs> uh, but even that, you know, you're, it's like, oh, a great filmmaker can make a truly bad film. And I, I just, I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what, I, I, I don't really know the history of Topaz, why he made it, but <laughs> it is not a good movie. Um, but yeah, so, that, so that's on Criterion Channel. I do encourage people to go check that out. Awesome. So, so let's let's move on to another film that is streaming right now, streaming on Netflix, and that is Jane Campion's *The Power of the Dog*, starring uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Kristen Dunst. Um, now I'm blanking on his name. Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons. Yeah, I know. I always think of him as Todd. His name is just <laughs> Todd to me because the first thing I ever saw him in was breaking bad so <laughs> well i'm sorry to say that he's always like that guy that isn't matt damon to me um <laughs> also fair <laughs> i apologize he's a great actor in his own right like, he like I'm not... he's also a really nice guy i've met him <laughs> he seems like he would be a nice guy like mm -hmm. just just all of his on-screen personas at least i'm just like you are probably a decent human being yeah um even when he's playing not decent characters so, so yeah, the, <laughs> sorry, hold on a second. Um, yeah, so, so the power of the dog, my, my dog decided to weigh in, <laughs> uh, is, it's hard to describe this film because every synopsis that I've read of it, I'm like, but mm, is that really what it's about? <laughs> uh, so the, the most basic synopsis, and this is just the one that, that comes up when you Google it, is a domineering rancher responds with mocking cruelty when his brother brings home a new wife and her son until the unexpected comes to pass. Uh, and that's, I guess, the, the best way to summarize this film. It really is about psychology and emotions. And, um, and one of the things that came up a lot, I think, in, in um, some of the conversations about it is that there really isn't much violence in this film. Um, it's very psychological. It's very much about these 
loaded situations. And and Cumberbatch in particular is such a a frightening character. He plays such a frightening character because he just dominates every scene that he's in. And you do feel this sense of terror that he's just gonna walk in the door. Like and and that's a difficult thing to kind of sum it up. But it is a a remarkable performance. It's remarkable how this film establishes that tension without anything really happening. Like he's not, he's mean, he's cruel, but he's not violent, right? This is very much like psychological warfare, basically. Yeah. Well, and what I think is brilliant about the way that that, that atmosphere, I guess, is, is translated to the screen and, and that you really feel it. Uh, anybody who's been in a situation where they live with someone that's just a really difficult person to live with, even if that person never raises a hand to you, just that feeling of like, they might be home any minute, like, you know, and, or just like, oh, they're in the other room. I don't want to bother them. Those kinds of things. Like that is a constant tension point in an unhappy house. And Jane Campion is able to create that so so well in this film because like you know through okay you can see through the window that phil is like way out over there but it's like he could turn around and walk in any minute or um or just knowing that he's in the next room listening to what's happening or or thinking that he might be like it all just makes it so so intense and then benedict cumberbatch like personally i feel like this is if it's not his best performance it's definitely the one that i have um been the most mesmerized by i think um because part of that is just the way that he crafts this character as someone who without lifting a finger is is just like terrifying and unsettling well and and you get that establishment very very early on right Mm -hmm. um in his introduction you know the way that he talks to his brother the way that no one will really challenge him particularly uh but that everyone particularly his brother just does not like him <laughs> like won't respond to him um and particularly in that scene in the dining room the first time where you kind of are introduced to all of the characters and sort of their their first major um coming together right all of the the various characters interacting with each other um the meanness with which he treats people for no reason right it's it's right. because this boy isn't fulfilling his view of what a man should be um and and he's doing this for no real reason other than you know he's kind of performing in front of his the, the other cow hands he's kind of enforcing himself as this this patriarch almost uh and and he barely even realizes that he's doing it like it's just like no this is just the way the men talk you know i'm just trying to teach him how to be a man um and and no one pushes back that's that's the other thing like his brother won't push back his brother won't say at the moment his brother won't stand up and defend this kid right right who hasn't done anything the worst thing that he's done is that he's made paper flowers um and and it but his brother won't stand up and say like you know you shouldn't talk like that he won't apologize to the boy you know all of that stuff and so you get that sensation of what kind of a man all of these men are but especially what kind of a man um phil is the 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 cumberbatch character and that carries through i think that that establishment of who he is carries through throughout the entire film that and that's where you begin to build up this sensation of tension this like you know he's not he 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 could come in at any moment he could he is going to show up at any time and he's going to be you know you almost can't say anything around him because if you speak he's going to mock you Mm -hmm. um and, and the film develops that so so well yeah um so one of the things I wanted to, to talk about briefly, at least, is about this as kind of a deconstruction of the Western, because Phil is very much this representative of the man's man, right? The, the, the mythological cowboy in some ways. And he's got this, you know, former mentor who's died that he just obviously venerates. And then we learn more about that character and about who he was um, and about who Phil is uh, as the film goes on. But it is that kind of reinforcement, you know, the way that he talks and the things that he does and the things that he says, 
are very much this reinforcement of the, this mythos of the West. And then the film just spends most of its time breaking that down and showing how damaging and violent and ugly and truly destructive it is. Um, that this is not, you know, the mythological, this isn't the mythological cowboy whose time has passed, but who, you know, helps to establish the country or anything like that. This is like, no, this was always a sick kind of masculinity. This was always a, um, a toxic form of masculinity. And it, it, we have to fight against it, right? That this is not a good thing. This was never a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't have anything more to add because I think that, um, well, I mean, I, I already, I wrote a review of it for our website. Um, but I also it just, I don't know, like you just laid that out very well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think though that, I mean, we were kind of talking about this just separately this week was, you know, I think that this is one of those cases where you can really see what the tendency would be, or you can assume what the tendency would be if this had had a male director. I mean, the novel was written by a man, Tom Savage, and you can just really see how much differently certain things would have probably been done if, you know, someone, if a male, if a man had directed this movie instead of a woman who really, and, and Jane Campion, like one of her strengths as a director is to really, um, not soften, but to really kind of show the, the broader scope of like, uh, emotion and, and those layers of it and not just the, like the action or the, you know, the overt, um, acts. So it's like that scene, like you were talking about the scene in the, in the, in the, like when they're eating dinner and they're like at her, like in, um, at the beginning of the movie and there's a lot of tension there and you can feel just how sad and how heartbroken this mother is watching her son be treated this way. Um, and she never has to say a word, you know, and like, she doesn't have to like go off and like break down right there in that moment. It's, you know, those kinds of things can happen quieter and more subtly and, and more spread out too. Yeah, there's a lot of use of silence and mm -hmm. and of um, like you say that the cre creation of tension through what isn't being said, that creation of tension through what isn't being done. Basically, one mm -hmm. of the the other things that I liked about it is that, like you're saying, that there's there's this degree of softness and of nuance mm -hmm. um, that develops because Phil initially you're just like, well, I hate this guy. And you never really start to like him particularly. Right. But yeah. you do begin to understand him more as the film goes on. And that, and the film manages to make you understand him. And I think you mentioned this um, a couple of times. The film makes you understand him without excusing him. Mm -hmm. And that can be a very difficult line to walk, particularly when you're talking about art, where you're, you're not, you know, saying like, I, I, you should like this character, you should not like this character, right? Um, but to kind of give you insight into who he is and how he became the way he is. Yeah. Uh, and how, and so again, it's, it's a sense of this, this kind of masculinity and this performance of masculinity is damaging to everybody and especially to the person who has, who performs it, right? Um, that it's, it's destructive. It's not, it, it's destructive, not constructive. This, this is never going to win in the end it's just going to hurt right yeah it's um it, it never this isn't about phil finding redemption this isn't about him making good on what he is done what he has done or what he is this is really more about the point of like he can't because this is who he is and because certain experiences and things that have happened in his life have created this person that really can't come back from it. Like there's, there's no redemption because what would that even look like? Yeah. He, he isn't a redeemable character. And part of it is because he also doesn't want to be redeemed. Right. He, he's too far deep into, into the persona that he's constructed and the, 
the pain that he's created for himself and for others, that he's not going to be fixed. Nothing is going to make him better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so there there is a fatalism, I think, to a lot of the film that, that there's there's only certain ways to deal with this kind of thing. That this this is not just it's not so much that this is a dying breed of masculinity, but this is something, it's a breed that should never have existed, basically. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it is a wonderful film. Um, I, I've said it a couple of times, this is one of the few films recently that I felt really truly engrossed in. Um, it's a slow burn, but it is so worth it. And, you know, those, those scenes, you know, I've never been so stressed out <laughs> watching nothing happen um <laughs> yeah. or like you know someone playing but, the piano and i just right. like i this stresses me so much right but that's the brilliance of it is that like it you know on the one hand you can say nothing's happening but because this is such a such an emotional experience this is a movie that you really feel as you're watching it in those moments, like while a piano is being played or even delivered or whatever, um, like in those moments, so much is happening because so much is, is emotionally happening. And that's what I think is just so amazing about this film and why I think I connected with it so much is, I mean, it's a two and a half hour movie that does not, like you said, doesn't have a lot of action. There's no fights or anything like that. And yet it, it doesn't drag. It's not, it's a slow burn, but it's not slow. It, it, you constantly feel like you're having this experience watching it. And like, it's, it's completely engrossing. Um, I think that's the perfect word for that because like, even when it was over, I was just like, I, I could continue watching this for a little longer, you know, it, it just, I don't know. It's incredible. I think it's just such a, such a masterwork from Campion. Yeah. It, it, it really is one of the best films that I've seen this year. And granted, there are a bunch of films that I have not yet seen. Um, but yeah, still, it, it really is worth it. It is on Netflix right now. Power of the dog, um, directed by Jane Campion. So, you know, watch it, everybody. We have made so many recommendations. <laughs> and uh, shout out to Ari Wegner, cinematographer for that gorgeous, gorgeous movie. Um, here's a fun fact. I don't know if you know about this, but um, one of the things about it is they filmed it in New Zealand. It takes place in Montana. And instead of, um, you know, trying to fudge some of the backgrounds like out in the wild in New Zealand or using green screens, they actually went and took photos of some of these places in Montana and then turn them into these huge backdrops, you know, kind of like really? they used to do stuff like the, yeah, like, um, what do you call it? Uh, oh my gosh, my mind just went blank in North by Northwest, um, Mount Rushmore, oh, yeah. like that kind of yeah. thing. But yeah, so they're, they're like a lot like, and you cannot tell. No, <laughs> like, it really looks can't. like, wow. Yeah. It's incredible. So anyway, Ari Wagner could, possibly become the first woman to win cinematography at the Oscars and she 100% deserves it. Wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah, the, this mm, this film beautiful. This film is definitely going to be a contender. It is Oh yeah. It is such a uh, a beautiful, slow, remarkable remarkable movie. So, highly recommend that. I think we both we both very feel very strongly about the power of the dog. Yeah. And I also I moved Jane Campion into my number one spot for director predictions this week, too. I think it could happen. I mean, that would be awesome. I would be mm-hmm. all for that. That would be, what, two two women in a row? Two women in a row would be the first time that's ever happened. I mean, even in getting nominated would be the first time two, like, we've had female directors nominated in, su- in subsequent years. Uh, and then to win also would just be like, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And she'd be the first woman ever nominated twice. Oh, yeah, because she was nominated for the piano. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and she won screenplay for that. So if she, and that was original screenplay. This is the other fun, like, there's so many fun things that could happen with this movie in terms of Oscars. So, like, she won 
original screenplay for the piano. If she wins adapted screenplay for The Power of the Dog, she'd be the first woman to win Oscars for original and adapted screenplay. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Also, how depressing. Right. I know. It's only been 94 years, but okay. I hate that kind of trivia because on the one hand, you're like, oh, that's really cool. And they're just like, oh my God, how long this has taken. Right. Exactly. Are you actually kidding me? Yeah, exactly. So anyway, just, you know, some fun facts <laughs> <laughs> but it's beautiful and go watch it and yes just yeah immerse yourself in that world it's so incredible yes so i well i think that that is going to close us out for this week um do you have any final recommendations karen anything you want to mention before we shut down uh let me think like what else have i seen that's out and i can talk about <laughs> um <laughs> Um, let's see. Sorry, I was not prepared. Um. Well, no problem. I will recommend the Get Back documentary that is currently on um, uh, Disney Plus about the Beatles. Definitely a movie for people who love the Beatles (laughs) because it's like three episodes of about two and a half hours each. Uh, so, you know, you definitely have to like the Beatles to watch it, but it is a great, great, like documentary, really amazing insight. I need to watch that. I really do. You, um. you will have different feelings than you might have right now about the Beatles. <laughs> definitely. Interesting. Oh, um, one that I just saw, one movie I just saw was The Tragedy of Macbeth, which is directed by Joel Cohen, stars Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand and it's such a fascinating adaptation of that story it's the, again cinematography cinematography this year is incredible in so many movies but it's black and white and what they do with the three witches is really really cool and so it's just this another like just really engaging i can't wait to watch it at home with subtitles because there's some i i mean i know macbeth i've read it i've seen other adaptations of it but um there's just so much like rich dialogue that was just kind of hard to catch but um yeah just a really cool experience and then i mentioned i did see nightmare alley this week which is coming out very very soon and i loved it so much like i was on a Uh... high after that movie and i like the original movie too i do um but kate blanchett in this movie i'm telling you (laughs) well i've said it before i you know i'm like i'm excited it's like guillermo del toro yeah yeah yeah, yeah. sounds awesome all that and and then uh, but then i'm really just like i cannot wait to see kate blanchett particularly in that part exactly that that is what i am so thrilled about like it's it's not just kate blanchett it's like that part and her i'm like it's like it's not about anything else right well it's it's weird because it's like that role was written for her even though it was written 70 years ago and she was not born yet Unless she really is a vampire, then maybe she was, but... I mean, yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, but, oh my gosh. I know, Bradley Cooper is no Tyrone Power, that is true. Mm. But, um, but he actually does do a really good job. And then, like, all the, like, all the cast is, is good. Um, and what they incorporate... Now, granted, I have not read the book. It's in my queue to start reading it, but, um... But from my understanding of what I know about the book, some of the things that they incorporate, that Del Toro incorporates into this film that was definitely not in the original, I think is done very, very well. And it really um, gives, it's a, it's a, it's bright and beautiful and very colorful. Like the production design is, is astounding, but it's also the story is darker and a little grittier and a little more violent than the 47 film so well i i do really look forward to seeing that film yeah i'm excited for you to see it i really i'm like nervous for you to watch it though too because i i get it <laughs> but uh, guillermo del toro I, it it some of watching it felt like watching the shape of water 
Um, yeah, it has very much a Shape of Water vibe to it. So, yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, I, I generally like Del Toro's films, so I'm, I am looking forward to it. Awesome. Sweet. Well, I think that that will close us out uh, for this episode. And as always, we would like to thank our patrons, who include Adriana, Ali, Connor, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. As always, thank you so much for supporting us, guys. we are currently working on our website. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a work in progress at the moment, but we we're migrating a whole bunch of things, but so we're, we're updating all sorts of stuff. We're gonna try to get to all of the stuff that we need to do for our patrons. Please just be patient with us as you always are. Um, and thank you so much for continuing to contribute to us. If you wanna contribute to our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash citizen dame. And you do get bonus episodes, you get stuff early. Uh, you get a, a couple of little things that we're gonna be sending out fairly soon. And, and best of all, you get to support us because we're awesome. Like, you know it, come on. <laughs> um, you can also contribute, or you can also buy stuff at our Zazzle store. That's zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod. And you can contribute to our Ko-Fi, ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. Um, that website is citizendamepod.com. And like I say, we are updating it. So it looks a little bit rough right now, but everything is there. And more will be coming very soon. And honestly, these changes that we're making could not have happened without our patrons. So we really just want to thank you all for making this possible. Yes, this is great. We're we're growing. We're making things. We're making things better. Hopefully, giving you guys a better experience too. So, thank you so much, guys. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, email us at citizendamepot at gmail and we are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. We are on Twitter and Instagram at citizendamepot and Letterboxd at citizendame. Of course, you can get in touch with us individually. I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. And that will close us out for this week. We hope y'all are having a good December. Bye. It's time for the announcement. Okay, Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Just keep your receipts. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Sign this for me. Ooh.